That's awesome. That's so sweet. You know, even if you don't like country music, that just makes you want to reach over and put your hand on somebody's knee. Right now, go ahead and do that. Introduce yourself first, maybe, but anyway, hey, uh, no. Hey, Joe's back. Joe is back. So good, yeah. Some of you are going, who's Joe? He's like, uh, so Joe had uh, brain surgery a couple, a couple months ago, and he's back. This is his first weekend back up, and you guys have been praying for he and his family, and it, it worked. It worked. So anyway, thanks. That's great. Hey, hey welcome to what I think is going to be maybe one of the most important series that we've ever done here at Flatirons. And I'm not saying that past or future series are not important. What, what I mean is this, is that there are not many topics or series where we could address in our lives that if we get this part of our life right, it can lead to more joy and more happiness and more peace in our life than just about anything else. But if we get this wrong, fewer things in our life can leave bigger or wider paths of destruction, shame, guilt, and regret. Right, that's just true. We've got to get this right. And I'm not talking about if you get this right, you go to heaven, and if you get it wrong, it's like an express lane to hell. We're not talking about it. We're not talking about heaven and hell, all right? But let's be honest, though, all right? Few things. If you get this thing wrong, fewer things in your life will feel more like hell on earth if this part of our life gets messed up. And some of us have lived through that or are. And again, we're not talking about after you die and you go someplace else. We're going to be talking about this life from this point on. From this point on, okay, and that's a really, really important phrase, from now on, from now on. You might want to write that down because really that's all we have, right? We may need to take an honest look back at our past and see, you know, what went wrong and how we got to where we are today. But even if all that's true, here's just a newsflash, folks. You can't change it. You cannot change your past. You can't pretend that your past never happened. A lot of us try to, and then at the worst moments, here it comes again. It raises its head and reminds us, remember your past? We can't change our past, Right? Especially when it comes to areas of life like love, sex, and marriage. And see, you know it's true. No matter how good, you're sitting, some of us are sitting here going, but that part of my life's great. It's awesome with him, her, whatever, right? It's really, really great. But we all know this is true, is that no matter how good things currently are or, how, or have been in the past, at any moment, if we get distracted, if we get off course, if, if before we go to bed tonight, we make a really bad, stupid decision, it can all blow apart. We all have that potential in our life to, to blow up everything important to us in the next five minutes. And by, by the same token, no matter how horrible or jacked up or dysfunctional some of those areas of our life have been in the past, maybe it's your fault. You made a bad choice. I, I've made a lot of bad choices. Maybe somebody else's choice fell on you, all right? But if you want anything to be different, let alone better in the future, all we have is from now on. From now on, all right? But something will need to change if anything is going to get better from now on. And Paul, a guy who wrote a big chunk of the Bible, he writes that same truth. This is where we're going to start today. That same realistic statement in another letter that he wrote. Look at this. Paul, Paul writes this in Philippians. He says, he says, brothers, anytime you see brothers, it's people, brothers, sisters, right? Brothers, sisters, right? People, listen, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So I have not arrived. I don't have all, everything figured out. But one thing I do. This is a great verse. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. And that doesn't mean if you follow God, you know, that he's going to give you amnesia and you're going to forget college. It was bad. Let's just forget about it, right? It's not, it's not like, like I'm, I don't remember that. Forgetting means I'm going to let go of it. I'm not going to carry it around with me for the rest of my life. If my past is too heavy, it will crush me. And I'm not going to let it dictate my future. I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to let go of what lies behind and straining, I love that, reaching forward, the future, to what lies ahead. I, I press on, and I love that, that, that phrase. I press on, I do whatever I have to do, whatever I need to do to move on toward the goal for the prize of the upward, better, higher call of God in Christ Jesus. I want something better. I'm gonna let go of the past. I want something better. And in light of my past, I have to learn from my past, but write this down. This may be the best thing you've ever heard in the last whatever, right? It's time to move on. 
There's certain parts of our life going, you can't change it, learn from it, but we have to move on. We have to reach out for and strain for, turn our head and our heart towards something better if we want a better future. Paul, Paul goes on, look at this, verse 15, he says this, let those of us who are mature, and I, and I, I warned everybody last week, we're not gonna be talking to kids, all right? If you're six, get a coloring book, go, you all right? But we're talking to grown-ups here. So those of us who are mature, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, so if you think differently than that, God will reveal that also to you. Only let, let us, people say, I'm running after God, let us hold true to what we have attained. So let those of us who are mature, right, think different, see things this, this better true way. Last week Paul said it like this, we looked at this last week, he said, you know, when I was a child, I did a lot of things like a child. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. What's that mean? Stuff came out of my mouth, I had no idea what I was talking about, but it didn't stop me. I kept on talking. Right? I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And then a day came when I said, you know what? I have to grow up. I, I pushed aside childish, immature. I thought I had it all figured out, but I didn't know what I was talking about. I pushed that aside. Or literally it says, I pushed through it. I pushed through that childish, limited, what about me? Don't tell me what to do. That way of thinking and reached out for something better. Something, and here it is, something true. Something that actually works in reality. I need something. I want to push all this childish garbage aside and I want to reach through and I want to take hold of something that actually works in real life, in a real marriage, in a real relationship with a real person. Because what I've been trying so far, it doesn't work. I want something better. And so that's what this series is going to be about over this next month. We're going to strive for, we're going to reach for, we're going to run after, at least look at what God says is true about love, sex, and marriage. What he meant it to be. And we're going to look at what God says happens when we get love, sex, and marriage wrong. And we're going to look at what we need to do differently now or from now on so the past doesn't define or condemn our future to simply more of the same. And some of us are sitting there going, I've got it pretty good right now. More of the same would be all right. That's awesome. Okay, hang on to that. But for a lot of us, we want something better. We want something better. We do. We don't want more of the same. So every week, here's what we're going to do. You might want to write these five words down, all right? Every week, we're going to do the same five things, and this is where we're going to land later today, okay? First thing, we're going to open God's word and see what God says is truth. We're going to look at what God says. Now, here's Jim's opinion about truth, love, sex, and marriage. Who cares? Here's Flatterman's official position on whatever. No, we're going to open God's word, the Bible, and we're going to see what does God say is truth. This is a better way that leads to life that is actually life. That's the first thing, all right? And then we're going to look in the mirror. And this is between you and God, all right? You don't have to do this with anybody else. But you're going to look into the mirror and see if anything in this area of our life that we're talking about is different than what God says is, is true. And the Bible word for that is confession, we're going to look at truth, and then we're going to go to confession. I confess that my life, or at least this part of my life, does not line up with what God said is true, what he says is better. Third, every, every week we're going to make a decision. We're going to make a decision about if we want our lives to continue different than God's truth, or we're going to decide if we want to turn our hearts and our lives and our marriages and our sexuality and all the other important parts of our life, if we're going to turn it back towards God's truth. Turning back towards God's truth, that's called repentance. That's the Bible word. Repentance, letting go of the past. I can't carry it and I don't want more of it. So I'm gonna lay it down and I'm gonna strain towards what God says is better. We're gonna do that every week. Fourth thing, this is important. We're gonna ask for and receive grace. We're running after truth. We're not letting go of grace, all right? Grace on two levels because grace can mean two different things. First of all, grace as in forgiveness because not one of us in this room has perfectly lived up to God's truth in this area or any other area of our life. So grace in God, I need you to forgive me for what the past has meant and even what's going on right now. And grace also, the other way that applies is this. I need God's grace and strength in my life so that I have the strength and courage to let go of my past and actually reach for something better. Grace that forgives, 
Grace that gives me strength. We're going to ask for that every weekend here. And because of that, here's the fifth thing. Some of us, not all of us, but some of us, we are going to have the courage to get up out of this room each week. And from this point on, from now on, we're going to live better. We're going to live better. We're going to act better. We're going to love her or love him better. We're going to do life better, differently than the past. We want something better than that. So every week, here it is, truth, confession, repentance, grace. We're going to live better. We're going to run after a better life. And we're going we're gonna to hit on some tough stuff, some very, very, very sensitive subjects, all right? All right, we're, we're not going to, you know, go off the rails or anything, but, but we're going to look at the most tender parts of our life. And so the metaphor, a lot of times, whenever we talk about stuff like this, it's really, really difficult and really gets to the most sensitive parts of our life. Here's kind of the metaphor I've always used to help us kind of work our way through this. All right, go with this. All right, it's a metaphor. You know, like, like today, let's say that after church, you go down to the mall or something like that, and you're going to go to the movie, okay? You go to the movie theater, and you're cheap like me, so you go to a matinee. Saves a buck, all right? So, so you go to the movie theater in the middle of the day and you're sitting there in the dark for two or three hours and then the movie's over and so you go right to the side door, the crash door that goes right into the parking lot, all right? You go out there, you've been in the dark for three hours, you open up and the sun hits you right in the face. What do you do? Well, here, here's what I do. First thing I do is I close my eyes. Sometimes I even go, ah! I do that a lot. If you ever see me in a parking lot, it hurts, all right? So, so I just stand there, ah! And sometimes I wanna turn away and if the door hasn't closed behind me, I wanna run back inside, because I know that, and that's what I'm used to, all right? But here's the other reality. File this away for the next time you go to the mall, all right? So it goes like this. How about this? Next time, before you close your eyes, or because you turn away because it, it hurts or it's uncomfortable, just stand there a minute. Just, just give yourself a, a minute. Don't run. Give yourself some time to kind of let that sunshine sink in, and eventually your eyes will adjust, and you'll, everything will come into focus, and you'll be able to see something better. Because here's reality. This is so wise. You can't live in there. You can't live in a movie theater. I mean, it's creepy. I don't, all right, right? So you can't live in a movie theater. Here's one reason. Nothing that happens in there is real. It's a movie, right? And the other thing is, you gotta get home. You need to get to a better place. And that feels familiar, but you need something better. And it's the same way with God's truth, especially the hard stuff. And we're gonna look at some really, really hard truth. And our first response is, ouch, ouch, I don't, I don't like that. And I don't want that to be true. I understand, but here's, here's what God says, is you just give yourself some time. You may not get there today. You may not get there this month, all right? Just file this away. Give, give yourself some time, and maybe you'll see that it actually could lead to a better way. Okay, so, so to kick this off, we're going to look at this thing from kind of like a 10,000-foot perspective and kind of get the lay of the land as we, as we launch this series. So we're going to go back way up, and we're going to see why, why is this so important to talk about? And, and that, how we got to where we are today, the mistakes and the good things and all that, and see if there's a way to actually get back to something better. All right, so, so here we go. Paul's going to kick this off by pointing out that most of us, myself included, have spent most of our life asking the wrong question or questions. See, when, usually when it comes to love, sex, and, and marriage, things like that, the questions that we ask are, well, am I allowed to do that? Am I allowed to do that? Is that a sin to do that? I mean, how far can I push it before God says, go to hell? I mean, how, how far can I, can I push this thing before everything falls apart? And it's the wrong question. It's a, it's a question, but it's not the best one. The better question would go like this. What did God have in mind in the first place? What did God have in mind when he thought all this up? Because if I, if I can figure that out, the can I do that or should I do that, those questions tend to answer themselves, Right? So here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We've been looking at this letter that Paul wrote to these people who live in a town called Corinth. And so we're going to take a time out and address something that, that these people and we people are dealing with every day of our life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. He says this. He says, all things are lawful for me. Now if you look at that, it has quotation marks around it. Paul is quoting somebody. And get this, it's not God. 
He's not quoting the Bible to people and stuff like that. He's quoting a local philosopher, a local author, a local poet, something he heard on the radio in the chariot. I don't know, all right? So see, he just heard, you know, the, the, the word on the street goes like this, all things are lawful for me. And so he's just quoting popular culture. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Again, here comes another quote that's really popular back then. It goes like this. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Everybody knows that? Here's what you don't know. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body, your body, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for your body. So here's this truth that everybody in here knows is true, okay? Whether you believe in God or not, this, this is just true. The Bible just says something true, and it goes like this. Ready? Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something, right? Just because you can. I'm 18, I'm 21, I'm this, I'm that, I'm free. My parents, blah, 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 you can do anything. Just because you can legally do something doesn't mean you should do something. And let's just think about some of our lives. Some good things that we started doing or we got into or we, we tried or we engaged in thinking this is no big deal. I can do anything I want, right? It's a good thing. That, that may be true, but if those good things are used in ways they weren't designed for or meant to be used as, those good things can actually end up dominating you and the Bible says lead to your destruction. And the list of examples is endless, right? But Paul, he just throws that like food. Food, all right? You know, food's, food's not bad, but if you misuse food, it will kill you, right? That's just true. I heard on the news this week that in the next 15 years, one out of three Americans will have diabetes. Food's out of control. Bad food anyway, right? So, so here's the thing, because this is how Christians think sometimes. So should Christians not eat food at all because it might, it might kill you? No food if you love Jesus. Is that? No. Those are weird Christians. All right, see, all, food, food used the right way can actually lead to a better life. Food out of control, we can have a problem. And then the other example that, that Paul uses is sex. And I think it's really, really important that Paul chooses food and sex as his two examples of don't let these things get out of control. And here, here's why. I, I was talking to a counselor on staff uh, a while back who said this, food addictions and sexual addictions are the most intense and the most complicated addictions to address. Food, food and sex addictions. Why? And this is a very simple, very oversimplified answer because I am not saying that any addiction is easy to, to, to deal with. They're, they're not. But just think about this, okay? If you're addicted to alcohol, bottom line you just have to stop drinking alcohol. Don't go to the bar. Right? I'm not saying that's all you have to do, but, but above all else, don't put any more alcohol in your body. It's got to start there, right? If you're addicted to drugs, it's the same. You just, you just have to stay away from drugs. Don't do drugs. But, but most addictions are traced back to some attempt to, to address or medicate something that's broken in some part of our life. Right? I'm, trying to, I'm trying to medicate it. So what if you try to medicate it with food? If, if your issue is food addiction, what do you do? Because you can't just not eat I can't, I can't, or how about this? If your issue is sexual addiction, you can't just stop being male or stop being female. It doesn't work. Remember the Bobbit thing a few years ago? Ta-da, all right? It, it didn't work, all right? So <laughs> everybody in their 30s is like, what? Shut up, you know? <laughs> I call your mom. She remembers. Anyway, so, so. Well, my point is this. Okay, come on. It gets worse. All right, listen. See, we, you know, we could drop you on an island in the middle of the ocean and you won't die because you don't have alcohol. And you won't die because you didn't have weed today or something like that. But you will die if you don't have food of starvation. And despite how you have felt at different parts of your life, nobody ever died from not having sex. High school boy, remember that, okay? It's all right. It's going to be okay. You'll live, all right? <laughs> I think I'm going to die. You won't. But <laughs> some 40-year-old guy is going, not high school, it's me. All right, anyway, but... 
But here's the reality. Here's the reality. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you bring with you your sexuality, your identity, your, your mind. It might be broken, but it's coming with you wherever you go, right? You have to eat. You can't stop being a sexual creature because, and get this, because God created you. The, the Bible actually says God meant it to be that way. Or in this series, God wired you up, male and female. And it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But more importantly, it's just a thing. It just is. It's just reality, but it can go terribly wrong and destroy you and everyone around you if you don't know why you have it or how to use it. And so because of that, Paul is going to address an argument that's been going on since the beginning of time. What we're going to look at today is not a new thing. Some of us look at the Bible and go, well, they just didn't understand my life. They really did. This isn't a new thing. This is not a 2014 thing. This isn't a Colorado thing. This is a human being issue. Right? And the idea of the argument. And some of us, you know, I've looked out all, all weekend long and I see a bunch of us with, a, with our arms crossed and here is, here's the argument that's going on in our head. We actually are trying to build a case for this. I believe that I can regard and engage in sexual activities that are outside of what God says is right and true and good and I'll be able to walk away from them unaffected and without consequence. I believe that. I believe I can do anything I want with anybody I want sexually and I can walk away from it and it won't matter at all. And Paul's gonna call out a reality. That's just not true. It's not true. It might work in the movies. They seem to pull it off. It might work on TV or in romance books and magazines. But here's where it won't work. In real life. Why? Because it's not true. And not because of some old-fashioned Christian puritanical moral code or, or taboo, but because of the way God meant, designed, or wired a person up when he meant you, designed and wired you up. And here's an old metaphor. This is how it was explained to me when I was a kid. And it's kind of hokey, but it really is, it gets us there. Here's how it was explained to me. Fire in a fireplace is a good thing. Fire heats your house, cooks your food. That's a good thing. Stoves and fireplaces were meant, designed to allow the fire to burn for your good and for your benefit. But if that fire jumps outside of a fireplace, it will burn your house down. And that's a pretty good picture, right? So Paul clarifies, just like an out of control fire, or he says, just like out of control food can kill you, that's not the only thing. He goes on. Look at this. He says, the body, your body, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for your body. And let me, let me restate that. I'm not going to change it all. I'm just going to say it in the positive rather than what it's not. Here's what it is. And it's probably going to blow some of your minds up. And you're going to go, I don't know if I like that or not. But let me say the same thing a different way. Look at this. Your physical sexual body is meant for, wired up for, the Lord, and the Lord is meant for, wired into your physical sexual body. He's there. Some of you are going, that creeps me out a little. All right, I never thought about that. I don't even know if I want him in that part of, part of my life. And this is going to be a really, really key verse throughout this series because we're not going to spend, I don't know what your expectation is, we are not going to spend a lot of time attacking sexual immorality, especially those kind because it's gross and people shouldn't do that. We're, not going to, we're going to touch on stuff like that, but that's not where we're going to spend most of our time. We're going to spend most of our time looking at what our bodies were actually meant for more than what they weren't meant for, right? But very, very quickly, all right, just so we're all on the same page, because when you read the Bible, there's that phrase, sexual immorality. It's all over the place. So what does that mean? So when we say it, we go, oh, I know what we're talking about. It comes from the Greek word porneo. Porneo, right? Which should sound familiar because that's where we get the word pornography or, or, or pornographic. And, and in, in the English language, in our culture, we hear the word pornography. Here's what I immediately go to. Oh, you mean pictures. Oh, you mean magazines. You mean videos and websites, stuff like that. And it's certainly included in that. But, but the biblical definition of por porneo or pornography is this, all right? Anything, 
Anything, don't limit it to one thing. Anything outside of what God says is true and best about sexuality, sexual identity, sexual purpose, sexual expression, and sexual intimacy. Anything else. Everything else that is different than what God says is true, that's porneo. And Paul's really, really careful to use that word porneo because it's more like a, the heading of a category than referring to a specific you know, activity, right? And I've heard, this is the best explanation I've heard of porneo. It goes kind of like this. It's kind of like that junk drawer that everybody has in their house. You do. We have two in our kitchen, all right? Everybody has a junk drawer and just everything kind of gets thrown in, in there, all right? So the porneo junk drawer includes Everything outside of what God says is right and true and best about sexuality and sexual expression. It all goes in there. And I think, again, it's very, very intentional that Paul doesn't make a, a list of specific sins. He doesn't say the body is, is not meant for, and then here comes the list. It's not meant for adultery, fornication, homosexuality, threesomes, S&M, pornography, bestiality, rape, molestation, pedophiles, on and on and on and on. Paul didn't do that. He doesn't make a list here. I'm glad. Because let's be honest. Let's be honest, all right? If Paul had made a list of every sexual activity that he could think of or that he had heard of, this is how, this is how people work, all right? Eventually, some freak comes along and reads the Bible and goes, well, God didn't even mention sex with trees, so that must be okay. I found a leap, loophole. Off to the forest we go. You know, is that, <laughs> you know how we are. We just like, oh, he didn't say that, so we must be, all right? It's not what I said. Hang with me. Come on back, all right? So, what Paul is saying is this, anything, everything that doesn't line up with God's definition and design regarding you and sex, it just goes in that drawer. It's out of bounds. But to understand not only what that is and what it isn't, we have to back up and ask a bigger, more important question. It goes like this, what is God's definition and design for you? What was God thinking when he decided, he could have done it any way he wanted, right? He decided to wire you up as a sexual person. What was he thinking? Why and what was that wiring meant to say or do beyond this feels really good and sometimes a baby comes out? I mean, it has to be more than that. Although that's all in there. Let's be honest. The Bible is very, very explicit about this. All right, some of you are going, I'm going to blow up your Bible world right here. When the, the Bible talks about the purpose of sexuality, it mentions the biology of sex and body parts fitting together in a really awesome way. Very pleasurable. Um, I vote yes. All right, it's all, it's all in there. And some of you are going, sex in the Bible, really, right? Oh, here's some homework. Write this down, all right? Homework, you're going to like this, all right? Go home and read the Song of Solomon. Yeah, some of you read it, right, right? You just open the middle of the Bible and it's just right, it's right there in the middle of the Bible. Or, or if you say, I don't read, then, then get online and watch explicit lyrics. A whole series we did based on the Song of Solomon. And here's, I'll just warn you, every time that we study this stuff, like nine months later, we have to build more nurseries because some of you really like homework, all right? <laughs> you know who you are, right? So anyway, but this, right in the middle, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna show you what's in the Bible. Right in the middle of the Bible, a guy named Solomon who writes this, he records in detail as he works his way up and down and then back up his wife's body, touching and tasting every inch of her from head to toe, he only stops to drink shots of wine out of her belly button. That's in the Bible. Praise God. That's just awesome, all right? <laughs> so he, explore, he tastes all the parts of her. He finally, he gets to, the user imagine on this. He says, and finally I got to her garden that has a fountain flowing out of it. Does that mean? Yes, it does. It's good. It's good stuff. The Bible's hot. It's good stuff, right? Here's my favorite line. Read this. Psalm Solomon chapter 7. He says, I looked at my wife and her breasts were like two fawns. You know, if I go home and say, hey, Robin, your breasts remind me of two deer, I'm going to get punched in the face, all right? It's, it's like, I, that's not a compliment. But, but, but now I'm a hunter. I understand. I get it. And all the hunters, you watch, we're going to nod our heads in a second. See, see, here's the whole thing with deer hunting, all right? So it goes like this. You don't run in the forest and just tackle a fawn. You sneak up on them. That's the best thing you heard in church ever, right there, okay? 
Jesus died for my sins and fawns. Ah, all right, that's all right. Sex is good. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to feel good. It's supposed to be arousing. It's supposed to work up all kinds of stuff in you, right? And some of you right now, you're going, let's just go home. I, I've heard enough. Let's go home now, right? right? The, and the Bible, so it's for pleasure. And the Bible mentions sex is for making babies. It's, it's all in there, but not nearly as much as God's description of his sexual creation serving the purpose of something much more, and, and I start to say important, something much more important, but I think the word much more intentional would be better. Something much more intentional. And that's what Paul is trying to teach us. And that's what this series is going to be about. Not so much about, you know, if you have sex with a tree, it's a sin. And you get splinters, and it's bad. <laughs> right, right, but no, we're going to look at this. What did God intend? What did God intentionally do when he created you and me? Wired men and women up as sexual creatures. And not so much about what is out of bounds as much as why is that out of bounds? Why would that be off limits? What, what's the big deal if I step outside of what God says is right and true? What's, what, what, what could it really hurt? We're going to look at that. And Paul knows, all right? Paul knows that what he's about to, to put out there 2,000 years ago and even right now, it's so countercultural. Just so you know, people back, you know, they read this for the first time 2,000 years ago. They had the same reaction to a lot of us. They're going to hear what Paul has to say and they're going to they're respond like this. Are you serious? Are you, that doesn't even make sense in today's world. Nobody does that anymore. I mean, this is Corinth. This is Denver, whatever that is. Who, who does stuff like that anymore? Really, are you serious? God expects us to live our lives like that. And because, because he knows that, he, Paul throws in this line before he starts dropping bombs about, you know, better ways of sexual identity and creation, all right? And it just feels a little bit out of place. But right in the middle of this whole talk, look at what he says, verse 14. And God raised the Lord, Jesus, and will also raise us up by his power. That's true. That's a true statement. God did raise Jesus physically from the dead. That's the whole Easter thing. That's what we lean our faith against. But honestly, to me, it just seems a little bit out of place, kind of random. Kind of like, wow, Paul, where did that come from? I mean, thank you. I appreciate that. But we were talking about sex and what's good and what's not good and why. And then out of the blue, you just throw in this, God raised Jesus from the dead. And when you die, he'll raise you up by his power. Again, thank you. I already knew that. And I believe that. And I will file that away for later, like when I'm dead. But right now... I'm not dead, I'm very much alive, which is the problem because right now I'm trying to decide if I'm gonna have sex with him or her or them or whatever tonight and I'm not connecting the dots of why you need to throw out that little spiritual reminder in the middle of all this stuff about my body. Why? God can raise the dead. What's that have to do with anything? The more I think about it, here's here's why I think Paul throws in this random reminder about the the power of God and what it can do. See, what Paul's about to teach those people back then and us in this room even right now is gonna challenge and totally blow up and rock some people's world so much about how they approach gender and sexuality and sexual expression. And Paul knows that the only way that this new truth is, is, is gonna become a reality, not just say it's true, but actually become a reality in most people's lives is by the same life-giving power that's power, powerful enough to bring dead people back to life. In other words, you're gonna sit in here during this series and at some point you're gonna think, my life or this part of my life was as good as dead, hopeless, dead and buried. And I was given a second chance and I was given brand new life made possible by a level of power that can only come from God if this part of my life is ever going to change for the better or come back to life, it's going to take God-sized power to change it. That's the only way. I need that level of power to change this part of my life. And then the second thing is this. God could have chosen to raise Jesus and later us just in a strictly spiritual sense to raise our spirits but leave our bodies in the grave. But, but, but God knew it was important to resurrect the physical body of Jesus. And later, we looked at this when we were studying a, a couple weeks ago, to, to resurrect the physical, our physical bodies as if to say there's a connection There is a connection between your body and your spirit that by God's design, by wiring intentionally, you can't separate. It can't be regarded as that doesn't have anything to do with this. 
What I feel and what I believe about God has nothing to do with my marriage. What I feel and believe about God has nothing to do with what I do with my body, sexually or any other way. They're, they're unrelated. Paul goes, it's not true. In other words, what you do with your body is spiritual. What you do with your body is spiritual. And what you are in your spirit is demonstrated, kind of lived out in your body. And you know what that's called? Truth. That's called reality. And Paul, Paul goes on. If that's true, then I'm going to ask you some questions. Verse 15. Do you not know? Maybe you forgot. Let me tell you. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And that is a spiritual statement about your body. Do you not know? Come on. You know. You know you're more than just flesh and blood. Your physical bodies are actually members of, spiritually connected to, part of Christ. You're connected to God. Your body is connected to God. And we're going to talk about that more in a minute. But here's a question if that's true. Shall I then, if I'm really connected to God, shall I then take the members of Christ, my body, and make them members of a prostitute? And he answers his own question, no. No, no, he's saying that you know who you are. Or let me remind you, you are connected to God. So let's just ask you a question. Ask yourself, yourself a question. Does anything in your mind or anything in your heart say, you know what? I think, I think that connecting my God Jesus connected body with, and then he, he says prostitution here, but don't limit it to that. He could have opened that junk drawer and pulled out anything. Of it. How about this? How about this? How about this? Does it make sense if I connect it to this? And the reason I think that he picked poor, uh, prostitution is because right up the street from this little town in Corinth, right up from where this little church was meeting, there was this big temple of Aphrodite, which is a temple to sexual love, and there were a thousand prostitutes working it. So it was very relevant. So he asked this, okay, does it seem like a good idea for anyone who's connected to God through Christ to connect with her, with, with a prostitute? Does it in any way make sense in reality, when you say it out loud, again, play this out, right? Can anybody get to, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I think that'll make my marriage better. I think it'll make us better if I say, sorry, honey, I'm gonna go with her or him or whatever that is for, for a while. Does any, does, how does that even sound like a good idea? And then he says it again. He points to another big truth, verse 16. Or do you not know? That he or she who is joined to, and I love that, you might want to underline that if you have your Bible, is joined to, and that means holds on to, cleaves to, unites, it literally translates this way, is glued together with. So this is, let's say, so do you not know that he who is glued together with a prostitute becomes one with her? Do you not know? Do you not know? And why should, why should we know? What is Paul talking about? Where's Paul, Paul pulling all this, you should know about this whole gluing together, joining together stuff. Why? Why should we know that? And the answer is because he's quoting God. He's quoting God from Genesis chapter 2. We'll get there in a minute. And, and, and he's quoting Jesus who's quoting God in Genesis chapter 2 in Matthew 19, which says this, For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. There were two, something happened, they became one flesh. So if that's true, two separate things joining together makes one new thing, then that means this next statement is true as well. Verse 17, But he or she who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with the Lord. You know what Paul's doing here? Math. Yeah. See, just stay with me. I hate math too, but just do the, do the math here, all right? If two different things are added, joined together, they make one new thing. Everybody with me? All right? But then if one of those joined things also says, I'm gonna join with another thing, one of two things that happens. Either the first two things fall apart quickly or the three things that are now joined together make up an entirely new thing and Paul is saying that this new thing is made up of you and God 
and another person. And this new union has the potential to be the best thing in this life, in this world. Or if you get any one of those three things wrong, this new wrong version will destroy any and everything and everyone around you. And some of us, we got it wrong. And the bodies are laying everywhere. Right? But look at this next verse. So here's the advice. If we don't want to repeat the, the, the past, all right? Verse 18 goes like this. Flee. And I looked at the Greek word there. It actually translates flee. <laughs> right? Run. Run. It's not, I think I can handle it. I'm just going to stand here. I'll fight temptation. No, get away from. Flee from sexual immorality. This is really, these next three words are very important. Every other sin. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. So why? Why flee from porneo? Why is there this warning to run, run from sexual morality rather than just open that junk drawer a little bit and go, is that okay? And how about a little bit of that? Or I don't see why just flirting with the junk drawer is that big a deal. It can't really hurt me. Why does God through Paul say, he doesn't say, hey, if you open the junk drawer, just be careful. He doesn't say that. He says this, don't even open that drawer. Run away from it. Get away. Put as much different di- distance between you and that drawer. You and her. You and him. Uh, sexual sin as possible. And here's the answer why. Here's why he says that. It's in that phrase, every other sin. Every other sin. Here's just truth. Sexual sin is just different than every other sin. It's just different. He's not saying sexual sin is worse than other sins. It's not. All sin, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, all sin is equally disqualifying when it comes to to, to connecting with God. God doesn't grade on the curve and the top half get in and the top half go to hell. It's not like that. And every sin is the same. It's equally forgivable by grace through faith in what Jesus did to pay for our, our sins on a cross. God's grace is bigger and greater than all our sin, including sexual sin. So God's not saying that one sin is worse than the other or comes with greater condemnation than another sin. What God is saying is that some sins have bigger, different, greater consequences in this life. In this life. I'm not talking about heaven and hell. I'm talking about now, later today. Which means this, and as soon as I say this, you're going to have to really fight to keep your head from nodding in agreement with me. But, but here's the truth. According to God, all right, and according to what a lot of us in this room have learned by personal experience, here it is. It goes like this. Even if God forgives every sin you've ever committed, which he will do. He will. He'll he'll forgive everything. But even if God forgives every sin you and I ever commit, sexual sin that we've done to other people or that has been done to us has different and potentially more devastating consequences to us in this life more than anything else I can think of or the Bible list. In other words, and just think about this, all right? You you tell a lie today. You go home and tell a lie to your parents or just to, to somebody, right? You get drunk in high school. You shouldn't have, but you did. You cheat on your taxes here in a couple of months, all right? You stub your toe on the way home today and you let go with a string of profanity. All sin, all need to be forgiven by the grace of God and he will. You pray a prayer and say, I'm, I, I'm forgiven. You, you're forgiven. And you know what? You'll probably move on fast. You won't lose sleep over any of that. You'll, you'll be fine. You'll probably forget about it. You forgot about, I forgot about most of them, all right? But. And here's the head nodding part. If you mess up sexually, or if, if someone messes you up sexually, if you step outside of what God says is right and true and have sex with the wrong person at the wrong time, even though God will forgive you for it, you will never forget about it. You won't. It will never go away. It will stick with you forever. It will ambush you at the worst moment. You weren't thinking about it, then the wind blows and like, there it is. And it just ruins everything, right? 
It's there. It'll always be there. Not the condemnation. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We're going to heaven. It's all forgivable. We're talking about the consequences, the shame that we live with, the regret, the, oh, I wish I could do it different, the memories. It's just different. It's not worse. It's just different than every other sin. And here's why. Here's why, verse 19. Or do you not know? Or if you don't know, let me teach you, all right? Do you not know that your body, and body here is not the church, the body of Christ. No, he's talking about you sitting there in this chair right now. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Here's a newsflash. You are not your own. You're not. And you, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let me just blow up culture here really, really quick. You're not your own. It's my body. No, it's really not, all right? You, listen, you're not even on your own. You don't, and you can't operate your life or your sexuality or any part of your life in isolation or pretending that what God says is true about you isn't. You can try, it just won't work. It won't work. Your body is from God, is created by God, and God is in every bit of your DNA. He's wired into you for a specific purpose, and acting like it isn't true doesn't make it untrue because it's reality, your body is a temple, a physical structure where God dwells. And you say, you know, I don't believe that and I don't want it to be true. Write this down. Too bad. Tough. You know why it's true? Because God is the creator and you are not. And he says this is reality. This is God's truth and this is where we live. In other words, do you not know or, or let me remind you that God lives in the physical, sexual design and structure of your body for the purpose of saying this is what God is like. That's why anytime you read in the Bible it says glorify God with, that's what it means. Glorify God with your body or anything else. What, what the Bible is telling us to do, what God's telling us to do is, is walk around in your life and say look at me and look at this and watch what I do with it and what and who I join it or glue it to because it's my statement about this is what I think about God and this is what I think about myself in light of what God has said is true about me or, or what I don't believe. See, God is reflected in me. His image is in me. I glorify, I reflect God in and with I do, what I do with my body. And I mean, I'm doing that either really well or I'm doing it really horribly. I, I fall away short, but either way, it is what I'm doing every day. It's what you did all week. It's what you did on the last date. It's, what, it's how you're living with your, with your husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever that is. That is what you're doing. This is my reflection of God. And for a lot of us, it's not going well. Because sin has just messed it up. We got it wrong. Sin messed up our biology and our, and, and our bodies. And, and sin has deceived and confused our emotions. And it's just ruined so many relationships. So, so we, were, we are created to belong to and reflect God, but, but it all got messed up. And we're sitting in this room right now, someone's going, it's really messed up. How about this? But because God loves us through Jesus, he paid for our condemnation. And we have a chance, we have another chance to recapture and rewire what has been lost and stolen from us through sin. And Paul reminds us the same power that can raise dead people, raise Jesus from the grave, can resurrect what you thought was dead and gone, or it's just too late for me in this part of my life, in my marriage, in my body, whatever that is, in your life. Jesus can create something where there's nothing. He can actually speak it into existence where it doesn't exist. It's his specialty. Through Jesus, you can actually get back what was lost. So here's what I want to leave you with to think about this week. And don't get your hopes up. We got a lot of time left. All right, all right. But here's what I mean. Next week, we're going to launch into the study of what's, what's wrong. What's, what's gone wrong? And all these symptoms around us are, are indicative something is wrong. We're going to look at what marriage can and cannot do in a person's life. But to set that up, I want to go back to the beginning. As in, as in in the beginning, like page one, the Bible, all right? About God creating us. Let's go back. What did God have in mind in the first place? This is just, this is going to be some of the, the if you'll just lean into this, this is going to be some of the best teaching you've ever heard about you. All right, look at this. Genesis chapter one, verse 27. All right, so this is like right at the beginning. 
says this, so God created man, and that translates people. It's not men, man, okay? So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God has this idea. He could have done it any way he wanted. He says, I think this is best. When God decided to create people in his own image, in order to best image himself, it took two images. You know, two similar yet uniquely different creations to do it. It took two people. One didn't get him there. And I'll use God's word to describe the relationship that these two imaging people were to have with one another. Genesis chapter 2 says that the man and the woman fit together. I love that. They just fit. They, they, were, they were uniquely different, yet they matched up. They, they, they complemented the other one. They, they fit together. And more, here's why. In order to more fully represent the whole image of God together, they represented him better together. And while our minds immediately go to physical and sexual attributes and biology, what we're going to see later is that those external sexual features in a person are actually statements about a greater fitting together. We're going to get to that, but I want us to catch this. I want us to hold on to this because here, here's the, the truth about this, the, my next statement. It's going to, first of all, it's going to blow up a lot of your theologies, okay? But the other part of it is going to redeem half the room. And here's what I mean by that. For God to most fully represent himself accurately, it took both a male image and a female image. It wasn't one or the other. It took both a male image and a female image to image God best. And now, now let me just talk about the elephant in the room. While, while God is consistently referred to throughout the Bible as he or father, is, there's no reference to God being the mother. But, and we'll talk about that later in the series. But the truth is, this is going to mess you up, but God is spirit. He's spirit. He's not male or female. I mean, get, get graphic. God doesn't have a penis. Oh, oh, all right. Honestly, but think, if you were to draw a picture of God or a picture of God in your head, most of us, the picture you would draw would probably be this big, strong, probably bearded, old man, right? And that's not a bad thing necessarily, unless you get stuck there. And then you just go on with that, unless you buy into the idea that God is a male. And here's, we do the math and it goes like this. So that means men are more like God than women are. And here's the problem with that. When you start thinking like that, the result is the world spins out of control and women are pushed down because they're not as good as men and then men go on these spiritual ego trips. I'm more like God than you. That's hypothetical. It's never happened in history, but go with it, all right? So do you see how this goes? If we get this God thing wrong? But in his creation of people to reflect his, to his own image, to image his own likeness, God created one part of his image, his masculine nature, and so God reflected that in the man's physiology, in his body, his emotions, and his passions. And God created man, male, masculine, but he didn't stop there. It was good. It just wasn't enough. So to complete his image, he created another part to image his feminine nature. And so reflected in her body, her emotions, her passions, God created the woman. And then God said, now that is very good. That is very good. As in together, joined together, they are a very good representation of me. Now hold on to that. Because it gets better or worse, depending on your point of view, all right? Because Jesus refers to this very event in Matthew chapter 19. Let me, let me set this up as you're trying to find Matthew 19 in your Bible. But look at this. Jesus has just been backed into a corner by some religious zealots, some big religious police. And they're trying to ask him questions that he can't answer. And so he throw, they throw this one out. Uh, hey, Jesus, when is it okay for a person to get a divorce? But the reality is they, they could have filled in the blank with any, anything because they didn't care what he said. This wasn't about divorce. They, they, they just were trying to trick him with a, uh, trap him with a trick question. They could have opened the junk drawer and gone, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? And how far can we go you know, and do this you know, different than what God said is right before we go too far? What do you have to say about all this, Jesus? 
And Jesus is so smart. Write that down. Jesus is smarter than me. All right, so, all right. So <laughs> rather than answer that, their, their question, because it's a dumb question, how far is too far, Jesus takes him back to the beginning and to what God had in mind, what he intended in the beginning. He asked him a better question. Matthew 19, he answered, Jesus answered, have you not read, because it's in the Bible, we just miss it. Have you not read that he, God who created them, people from the beginning, made them male and female and said, therefore, all right, because I'm in charge and I made them, all right, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, all right, so thanks mom and dad, I'm going to let go of you, all right, and hold fast. And it's that same phrase, be joined to, be glued to, to cleave to his wife. So men, husbands, boyfriends, just file this away, all right? Uh, there comes a time when you look at your mom or dad and you go, thank you for so far, but you're no longer the first priority in my life. She is, and vice versa. And please don't put your elbow in your husband's ribcage right now, right? But there comes a time when he has to let go of, of, of his mom and dad, not because they're bad, but because he has a new priority in his life and he's gonna be glued to his wife. And here's what happens. And the two shall become one flesh. God made this up, all right? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore, and here's what's made it into a lot of our wedding ceremonies, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Don't try to pull this thing apart. Do not get in the middle of this. Don't try, it won't go well. So here's what I want to leave you with. And we're getting closer to the end, but we're not there yet. I, a higher view of you. It's not, that, that, it's not that, that we're arrogant. I don't think we think enough of ourselves or see ourselves correctly. Not only just you, but, but if you're married or if you have plans to get married, here's what the two of you are meant to be. And here's what's at stake if you get this right or wrong. What if, and I'm saying what if, although it's true, but I'm just gonna go so you can make up your own mind. But what if every man ever, whether they believe in God or not, but what if every man contains and reflects the image of the masculine spiritual image of God? He put it in there. And what if every woman contains and is the image of the feminine spiritual image of God? And what if, and this is where it gets really mystical and mind-blowingly awesome, and I've never even thought about it until the last few months about this because I couldn't even put it into words, but what if, go with this, what if that masculine and feminine image of God in, in each one of them is what drives them and pulls them towards one another sexually? That's what's behind it because what if wired into both of you, both of those images, the man and the woman, is this longing to fully connect with the, the other part of the image of God so they can actually better experience more fully the presence of God which goes like this, we're one, I'm supposed to be one, I'm supposed to be part of you. I want to be connected to you. And what if that connection is only made possible if, as Jesus said and Paul quotes later, if the Spirit of God is the joiner, the gluer that brings them and holds them together, what God has joined together. And what if, what if the male imager of God coming together in sexual intimacy with the female imager of God and the two becoming one, the Hebrew word for that is echad, all right, glued together, held together by the Spirit. What if that is the closest reflection of the Trinity of God that a human being, you and I, will ever experience in this life, this side of heaven. And why is it that if you leave out any one of those three, masculine image, feminine image, or leave God out of it, or try to substitute anything else into the place of any one of those three, that Trinity becomes, becomes uh, of three becoming one, it, it falls apart. Like nothing else falls apart because what God meant, what he had in mind, what he intended, what he wired up to be a very good image of himself, it falls apart and becomes something very different, very distorted. If we ever try to change it, substitute it, or leave any part of it out of the complete imaging of God, what if? And I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying and God's not saying that a person is incomplete if they're not married. You are, you're a full person and God fully lives in you. I'm saying and what God is saying and Paul is teaching is this, by design, by design, a marriage 
is incomplete and cannot accurately do an image what and who it was meant to do an image without all three being present. Masculine image, feminine image, spirit of God. That's marriage. And if you try to redefine it or add to it or subtract from it or substitute something in, we will end up with something very different than what God meant when he said, this is my idea. It all falls apart. What do you mean? A man and a woman trying to join together, hang together without the spiritual union of God. You might make it for a while, but it falls short of imaging God. Two men or two women without the spiritual union and blessing of God image something very different and very less than only partly what God is like. A husband and a wife joined together by the Spirit of God bringing in a third party or unholy images or destructive behaviors or, or, or one of those three stepping outside of that marriage to another bed to get something from somebody else. That, that doesn't image God. A married or single person lusting and fantasizing about an idea or an image on a computer screen that falls way outside of what God says is right and true. That doesn't image God. doesn't even come close. A husband who makes a promise to his wife or a wife who makes a promise to her husband and then lies about it or deceives or holds back something from the other. That doesn't even come close to God. Or how about this? Because we're going to spend a lot of time looking at this next week. A man who doesn't even know what it means to be a man, let alone how to do it. It falls apart fast. I had a great conversation with this young man. He's married, he's working through some stuff, but he looked across at me and he said, I, I don't even know what it means. I'm married, I'm, I have sex with my wife, I have a job, is that it? I don't know, no one's ever told me I'm a man. If I look at my dad and his example, he's in jail, he's an addict, he, I should punch my, my wife in the face. That's what I have to look up to. And I know it's not that, but nobody's told me what it means. I'm making it up as I go. There's a lot of men that I talk to. Same with, with, with women. I, I don't know what it means to image God. I don't know how to live that out in my, in my life, in my body. And it, marriage, relationships, they, they fall apart right away or they start well and get miserable fast. Why? We don't know who we are and we don't know what we're doing. You see where this goes? That's why this is so important, right? And some of you this isn't a big deal. That's what we tell ourselves. This is how we rationalize away what we intuitively know isn't true. But we tell ourselves, hey, I don't know what the big deal is about this. This doesn't matter that much. This has no lasting effect, which is true if, if all we are are physical bodies. And by the way, it's my physical body. It doesn't matter. I can do anything I want. But here's what we know is true. Because God wired it into us. We are not our own. And we're not on our own. And we can't operate independent from everybody else thinking it doesn't have an effect. We are spiritual and God is wired into our minds and our bodies. And when we step outside of who and what we were created to reflect, it's like no other sin. Not in its power to send you to hell. We're not talking about that. But to destroy everything and everyone around us over and over again. But I want something better. And doesn't imaging God, or at least having that as the vision for my life, or for my marriage, or for my soul, doesn't that sound better than I blew up another one? I blew up another home. I blew up another marriage. I, I ruined another set of children. Again, because nothing changed. Imaging God, doesn't that sound better than screwing in a hotel or the backseat on prom night, or because I'm in high school, I'm a kid, and I, that's what you do, or masturbating to porn behind a locked door. He said, you, you know what I'm saying, it's true. What God is saying is true. We were wired for something better than that. And if the wiring gets all messed up, we need something or someone bigger and more powerful than us to rewire us. Our minds, I gotta think different. Our emotions, I gotta feel different. I gotta, my body needs, needs, needs rewired if I have any hope of something better in the future. Now I am done. <laughs> kind of. But here's, here's what some of you, oh, no, he's not done. All right, so, so we're going to do five things. I told you we do five things. Don't answer these out loud, just in your, in your mind, in your heart. First of all, we say we look at truth. Here's truth. You were, you are created to image 
either the masculine or the feminine nature and character of God. That, that, that is in you. And your marriage or your life leading up to that marriage or the way you live out your singleness is meant to image the character and integrity of God, the oneness of God in Trinity. That is truth. You are reflecting God. He's in you. So second word, confession. How's that going? Right? What in your life personally or in your marriage or in your dating life is, is demonstrating that or, or destroying that reflection? And here come all the arguments. You don't understand, all right? I mean, I was in love with her. That's why I married her. But I love somebody else now. And my marriage is horrible. And he doesn't keep his vows either. And I'm lonely. And I have all these feelings ever since I can remember having feelings. All right, I'll give you that. All those reasons may be true. All those reasons are true. But God is God. And he promises to take care of you through the hardest things of life, to give you grace and mercy in your time of need. That's called faith. So let's just stop making excuses. Question, is what is going on in your life consistent with what God says that is true? Yes or no? See, yes or no? And see, here's the other thing. I'm just say this. Do not walk out of here and get to the car and close the car door and look at the other person in the front seat and look at him going, you're not true. You, this is about you. He was talking about you. You are so far from God's truth. In your life. Do not walk out of here and use God's word as a weapon to beat somebody else up. It never goes well. It was never meant to do that. No. We're talking about you. Your life. Right? You can build a case against them. That's not the point. Is there, what's going on in your life? Is it consistent with what God says is true? It's yes or no. Let's start there. Third thing. Repentance. What needs to change in you? Not your marriage, not him or her. What needs to change in you? I mean, God may change that person, but if they don't, something still needs to change in you. Do you want something better? And even if you're sitting here going, I don't see how God could actually get me to a better place based on where I am right now. But in order for you or your marriage or the most significant relationship in your life, married or single, the way you're expressing sexuality and pursuing that, either alone or with another person, what, in order to bring that part of your life more in line with what God says is, is very good, what needs to change? And are you willing to move in that direction? It's a yes or no answer. Fourth thing, this is important, grace. Grace. What in your life and in your relationships right now do you need to just stop right now and ask God to forgive you for? God, forgive me for my past. I got it wrong. Forgive me for what I'm doing right now. But please don't stop the prayer with, in Jesus' name, amen, right there. Forgive me for my past. Forgive me for what I've done wrong, what I've done wrong to other people. And then keep going with that prayer. And Lord, give me the grace and the strength and the courage to get up out of this room in about five minutes and live and do differently. Love her differently. Love him better than I have been in the past from this point on. Finally, so what do you need to do to live better? What do you need to do better, differently from now on? With God's grace and God's strength, what changes from now on? All right, now, Here's the thing. Is I, I usually don't give advice out, but I'm going, I'm going to. Right, it's free. You don't have to do it. But here's an idea. If you're sitting here going, I don't know if I even believe all this stuff. I, I can't get my head in heart. This is so huge in my life. I just need some time. I'm just trying to let it soak in. Okay, that's great. Great. All right. How about this? Until you get this figured out, or at least a little more figured out, how about you just call a time out in this part of your life before it gets worse? All right, and you know what I'm talking about, but let me, here's what I mean, all right? If you go home and later today or later tonight or whatever, right, you look at your significant other person in your life and you say this, I just need some space. That really messed me up, what, what we talked about in church today. I just need some space to figure this out in my life. And if your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your friends with benefits or your buddy, whatever you call them, all right, they can look back at you and their response is, I don't really care what you want. And I don't even really care what God has to say about you. I know what I want right now. 
Let me just say this. It's been, they've been like that for a long time. Now it's just in your face. Now you know. And it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt and the lights are going to come on. You're going to want to close your eyes and run back inside the darkness. Stand. Stand. Grace and mercy will get you through this. See, it's rough. This today's rough. This is week one. I've seen the other one. This gets worse, all right? It, it, it's right. It's going to get rougher. If we have any hope of things getting better from now on, something needs to change, right? I want something better. I'm done. I'm going to pray. Joe's going to sing. We're going to go home and we're going to live better. And Bronco's are going to win better, all right? So <laughs> let's stand up. Let me pray and we'll get out of here, okay? God, I love you so much. I have a position where I look out and I see thousands of faces. They're looking straight ahead because this is so... This is just so strange. This is so unreachable. This is so out of the realm of possibility in what we've ever thought about or considered for ourselves or for our future, for our marriage, for our family, for our, for, for, for our sex life, for all those things. We've never even thought that that was even possible. But all things are possible through Christ who gives us strength. That's what you said. So God, I just pray that you're just beginning something today. It's going to go on and on. The ripples of this are going to go on and on and on. And relationships are going to be changed and healed up. And hearts are going to be put back together that have been sinned against. And you're going to put us back together. So God, I just pray just a, just a, a spirit of protection on every relationship that is, that, is, that is in this room. If we're single, guard our singleness and our purity so that we don't just compromise it down because we're lonely or we're afraid. And, and bless every, guard every relationship. And please do not, do not let anyone in this room use this as a weapon against the other person. It's better just to not bring it up at all than to bring it up as, as I'm, I want to hurt you. So we just, we just lay that down and we just hold on to Jesus. Jesus, we need you. We need grace and mercy to make it through what we're about to go through. We're, you know, we're young, we're single, we're, we're old, we're single, we're young, we're married, we're old. We, we're trying to figure it out. We don't know what to do. There aren't any good models out there. So we're just going to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and what he says is true and better. And if you will give us grace and mercy, we'll be okay. It's going to get hard, but we'll be okay as long as you love us and you'll take care of us. And that's what you promise. So do whatever you need to do in our lives from this point on. In Jesus' name, amen.